thanks for tuning in to our new series called What to Do on the Worst Day of Your Life based on a book by Brian Zand. I highly suggest it. Um, there was a general who survived what was known as the Hanoi Hilton. He was a POW prisoner of war, and he survived eight years there. And someone asked him, how did you make it when so many people didn't? And here is his answer. He said, well, um, the optimists, they used to say, we'll be out by Christmas. He said, they didn't often make it, the optimists. He said, we must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they may be. So you have to hold on to hope, but you have to confront the brutal facts of your reality, whatever they may be. We're entering the story of David on a day where he had to um, recognize the brutal fact that his um, family had been taken. In fact, uh, his whole band of warriors, 600 men, their, all their families, their town had been destroyed. Their family had been um, kidnapped and they had nothing left. And in the midst of recognizing that reality, David also had to have hope. Today's sermon is all about how to have vision on the worst day of your life. Let's jump into this. Samuel, First uh, Samuel 30 verses 8 and 9 say this. Then David asked the Lord, should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. He sought advice from the Lord and the Lord told him, go for it. So David and his men, his 600 men set out, determined to do what God had said. You know, I think there's two kind of people in the world. There's people that can look up to, um, to up into the night sky and they can see all the darkness, all the vastness of space and just see how dark it is. And then some people, when they look up, they see the darkness, but they focus on the light. They look for the stars to guide their vision. The first thing that David's story teaches us is to reorient our vision. We have to reorient our vision. David and his 600 men set out. Well, why did they do that? Well, David stepped forward that day with new vision, a clarity in his mind and his heart, and a new hope for his men and their families. He invited his men into a new future. He invited them. They didn't have to go with him. He invited them to go forward with him. He gave them a picture of restoration. He gave them a picture of recovery of their homes and their families, of their, of their community that had been burned to rubble. He reoriented their vision. I love this uh, verse in scripture from Isaiah. God says, I will give you treasures hidden in the darkness, secret riches. I will do this so that you may know that I am the Lord. And we have to remember that God is at work. There are treasures for us to find in the midst of the darkness. That means that God is at work in the ordeal, not just in the ideal. God doesn't only work with us and do good things if everything's perfect. He's right in the midst of it, right in the mess of it with us. This means that God... Um, he turns our pain and um, our hurts into good. Your pain, my pain, he turns it into good. God transforms evil and pain into good. He has a way of converting that. Like that's what Jesus on the cross was, absorbing and converting and taking all the pain, suffering, evil, wrongness of the world into himself and converting it to goodness. God is at work doing good and we have to trust him. I have a friend 
He said the doctor looked him in the eyes and said, I really believe your wife is, is going to get healthy. Um, she's going to make it through this cancer. And as they moved forward in faith, uh, they found out later that her body didn't respond the way the doctor thought. And she became terminal and he lost his wife. My friend Lee gave me permission to share this. And here are some of his reflections on that season. He said, in that time, he saw his wife bloom in helping other people, answering their questions, especially for people who were new to chemotherapy, loving and serving nurses who would still, um, who still stay in contact with him to this day because of how wonderful his wife was. He said, I realized that when God doesn't heal us or help us the way we're expecting, when we are in a dark place, it means he has a reason for us being there. And we should be watching for the opportunities to help others, even while we're in the middle of it. You know, my friend Lee, was re he can reorient his vision. He can look for the stars in the darkness. He was finding the treasure that God had for him in the darkness. Matthew 6, says this, Seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. And all these things will be provided for you. There's a lot of things we can be worried about, but there's one thing we have to put our mind and focus on. It's seeking the kingdom. It's seeing God's hand at work, signs of hope, signs of the spirit of God in the world around us. It's reorienting our vision. Martin Luther King Jr. was always finding hope in the middle of the storm. He was always reorienting people's vision. In, the, in an America that was struggling with racial um, reconciliation versus ra racial hatred, he was able to speak hope to people. He said, I've been to the mountaintop. And if you've ever listened to one of Martin Luther King Jr.'s speeches, it, it speaks hope into our present world. And despite the darkness and the rampant evil of hate and hatred of racism, Martin Luther King Jr. was able to see the light. He was able to point people toward reconciliation. He didn't let the cycle of violence and racism and bigotry and hatred, hatred, hatred take over. He, he allowed people to imagine and help people imagine a totally different future. He was able to see the kingdom, see the treasure in the darkness, and focus on the light. Right now, your family, my family, our neighbors, our connections— they need us to be people of hope, people who, who, who aren't losing hope that there is a future of flourishing in our world, that our families will flourish in the future, that our neighborhoods will flourish, that our planet can flourish, that we will actually and can actually allow God to bring us to a better place as a, as a whole world, as a community globally, where we can flourish together. We need to maintain a vision for that. David was able to share in faith uh, with his men that there is a vision for a better future of recovery and restoration. We have to learn to look through the lens of the kingdom. Look through the lens of the kingdom. Um, a lot of times the Bible can kind of become uh, so important. It's, it is so important to us, but sometimes in religious circles, especially in Jesus' day, the Pharisees would lift up the Torah, the law, the their, their scriptures, so much so that the, the scriptures became more important than the actual reality of God. In the story with David in 1 Samuel, um, verse 8, it says, 
you will surely recover everything that was taken from you. And there's this reality for Christians who are following God that sometimes the recovery won't be um, soon, or some of us, it won't be on this side of heaven. But there, but there is a reality that God will put things right. And that's why Jesus came. He came to restore, and we get to be part of that restoration. I've heard it said that a Christian's life is to look like a movie trailer of the kingdom to come, that our lives are just a little snapshot of what gets it, what will happen in eternity, and we get to give people uh, a foretaste of that. I love this verse in Hebrews 2.12. It says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. This is speaking about Jesus. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Well, what is the, the joy set before him? It's the kingdom of God. It's the restoration of heaven and earth and the restoration of humankind. It's the flourishing shalom, right peace with God, with others, with yourself, and with the planet. Like Jesus is looking forward to that. And that's why he endured the cross. That's why he went through the shadow. That's why he took uh, the pain and suffering of the world onto himself for the joy set before him. Sometimes Christians, we think like, well, it was for the uh, the evil set before him or for the devastation set before him. No, it was for the joy set before him that Christ endured the cross. Let me ask you, can you see recovery? Can you see the joy um, out, might, that might be out there, but can you see the joy before us even as we're going through a storm right now as a culture? Um, I remember driving in California. We were going, going to go on a surf trip with a bunch of friends in college. We left Bellingham. We drove all the way down to Southern California. We're going to Morro Bay. And I remember when we left I-5, we, we uh, took a right, and that's what, that was going to take us out to the beach. Um, as we were driving, we hit a huge fog bank, as often happens uh, on, on the drive out to the ocean. We hit this fog bank, and we couldn't see anything. It was just, I mean, you couldn't see a light in front of you. So thick. And I remember one of the, our friends was like, I don't know if we're going the right way. And I knew we had turned onto the right road. I don't know if we're going to go the right way. We might go on the wrong way. He started panicking because of the, how thick the fog was and how dark it was. And um, he's like, turn us around. We need to turn around right now. He's like, we're going the wrong way. And right when he was about to totally freak out, it just boom. We came out into crystal clear, beautiful air. And you just saw the stars. You could see the white caps of the ocean. It was at night, but you could see the beauty out there, and we made it. And we have to remember that th there's a joy out there that we're looking forward, even when we're going through the fog, even when we're going through pain, through fear, um, and through crisis. Um, we look toward the joy because we know that ultimately Jesus wins and Jesus put, is putting all things right. So we need to see clearly, no matter what, no matter how big it, the, the fog is, no matter how big the problem is, um, the joy that's set before us. So here's what I want to say to you. You have to let Jesus restore your sight. You have to let Jesus restore your sight. Um, that's the amazing thing about Jesus. He's a healer. And just like there's pe people working on a cure right now for COVID-19, uh, Jesus uh, came as a healer and is healing our world. There's a story um, told in the book of Mark about a blind man. It says this, they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought a blind man to Jesus and begged Jesus to touch him, to heal him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. And when he had spit on the man's eyes 
and put his hands on him, Jesus said, uh, do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. One more, once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes and then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. His vision came into clarity. I've always thought it was funny. My dad used to joke about this, the idea that, you know, two men who are, who had been blind, who had been healed by Jesus, um, meeting each other and, and be like, oh, you were healed by Jesus? Yeah, I was blind. You were blind too? Yeah. Do you, do you remember when, uh, when he spit in your eyes and, and, you know, he had the mud and everything and then, you know, slowly he, he healed you and it was blurry at first and then eventually he had to, he really had to get in there and heal you a second time. And you could see the other blind man saying, no, 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 he just did it with a word. And then the other blind guy saying, no, 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 no. He healed you with a two-step process. No, it was a one-step process. No, it was two. And uh, that's when denominations were born. Um, I love the idea of Jesus healing us in a process. For some of us, it's like overnight, but many of us, it's a process. And I think right now in our world, it's going to be a process of healing, a process of bringing sight and clarity back to people spiritually um, as well as physically. But there's a process of blind, blurry, and then sight. The, the man was blind, and then it was blurry. It looked like trees walking around. He's like, I can't tell if they're people or trees wandering around. And then it was sight. So in this process, blind, blurry, sight, I think a lot of us, when we're going through crisis and going through problems, when we hit the fog, like uh, we lose our vision, we're blind, and then it might be a, a process where all of a sudden we become blurry and we're able to see a little bit more hope. We're able to see a little bit more joy, a little bit more possibility and faith. And then if we let Jesus, he can heal our sight. And so we need to give our hearts and give our lives to Jesus and say, Jesus, would you help me to see? Would you help me to see what you see so that I can do what you say and I can have hope that you want me to hope? And I love um, David was a man who sought God and allowed God to dictate his vision, to reorient his vision. In 1 Samuel 38, it says this, Then David asked the Lord, Should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, Yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. And David, so David and his 600 men set out. Um, God gave him the vision, gave him clarity so they knew what to do. Let Jesus bring you from blind to blurry to sight. My uh, father-in-law, Stan, had a stroke a few years ago. And in that experience, he thought he was going to die. The doctors thought he was going to die. And um, and he didn't. Um, and he uh, made a few notes of his experience and, and had a spiritual reflection. I'll, I'll, I'll read this to you. He said, I was thinking about my experience with the stroke the other day. He said, or is it a few years ago? I can't remember. Um, he said, the first thing is, uh, I went through denial. I thought it, it might be a bad dream. I hoped that I, I might die. And in this time, I experienced my, uh, my visions of, of God speaking to me through a nurse named Lovett. And that really was his nurse. And she really spoke life to him. I also had uh, a vision or dream that people surrounded me in my hospital bed as I was dying of the stroke. And they were praying for me while we were all in the presence of God. And he's a pastor, so he said, reminded me of Hebrews 12. Number two, he said, after denial, I started to have gradual acceptance of my stroke. I began accepting the effects of the stroke and found great support from friends and family, especially my wife, Kristen. 
It's so important to support each other through crisis. And then number three, he said, um, through it all, I did not lose faith. And even now, believe God will restore my left hand, even when the doctors say it's, it's been too long. He's like, if you want to know, you can talk to me more about that in detail. But no matter how bad it got, God was with Stan. He was with me. And I knew that he, that he would be with me through it all. And many of you might be like that, like yeah, that sense of denial, that sense of like, what is going on? And, and I just feel like I'm flying blind here. And let Jesus heal your sight. Let him reorient your vision and take you from blind to blurry to sight. Guys, I love you so much. Take care.